everybody. Welcome to episode number 113 of the Between the Cracks podcast. I am your host, Bill, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Chris. Now, Chris, we do not have time to play games tonight. We just have too much information to get to as it pertains to tonight's case. Chris, tonight we are headed to the small town of Pont Saint-Esprit in southern France to discuss one of the most bizarre things I have ever heard of in my life. It seems that in late summer of 1951, more specifically August 15th of 1951, roughly 300 citizens of Pont Saint-Esprit went absolutely mad. There were reports of mass hallucinations, and in addition to that, people were getting violently ill. So, I mean, one person or two people, maybe even three, four, or five, (laughs) coming under the weather and, uh, and or hallucinating may not be a big deal. But like I said, this was upwards of 300 people. Now, what's even crazier than that is the theories as to what the hell happened here. Theories range from something as simple as fungus getting into the supply chain of the flour used by a local baker in a town to something much more sinister. And I'm spelling sinister with a C, I, and an A. If you catch my drift. That's right, pal, because a lot of people seem to believe that the CIA was responsible for what happened to the poor people of Pont Saint-Esprit via a psychological experiment conducted by the aforementioned CIA. You better be careful. So, Chris, like I said, we have a shitload to cover tonight. We do not have time to waste. I'm going to kick it to you first, Chris. Take us back, if you will. To August 15th or 16th, it really depends on uh, where you get your info from, but around mid-August of 1951, what the hell is going on in Pont Saint-Esprit, which happens to mean, Chris, which happens to mean the Holy Spirit Bridge? Well, if you were to speak to the local town folk, they refer to this as Les Pins Maudites. Excuse me? (laughs) <laughs> oh, you heard me. Les pains maudites. Which means cursed bread. Ooh. If you were sitting down one evening and having your usual bread with dinner, and then suddenly <laughs> came on with a bout of violent diarrhea. No, this is not good. <laughs> this is not good. <laughs> well, uh, nobody wants that. But also uh, severe headaches hallucinations, and for some, even death. Now, of course, when the first few people become ill, there's probably not much of concern at this point. But suddenly, more and more people in the town begin heading to the hospital. This, of course, raises concern because now they're being overwhelmed with the amount of people. They're trying to figure out what the hell is going on here. Yeah, and this wasn't like an event that just took place one day. It gradually progressed because a mere 10 days later, on August 25th of 1951, over 300 people were poisoned. 50 of them were actually put into a psych ward. And get this, 
at that point in time, seven people have already died. So no one really knows what the hell is going on. And we got to keep in mind that the illness that we're talking about still remains a mystery because, as I said, there's so many theories surrounding it. But the illness or the characteristics of this illness broke down into four stages. Apparently, in stage one, you would feel some sense of irritability and or depression. Then that would lead to digestive issues like you were alluding to. So that's kind of a mix between stage one and stage two, because as you said, people began getting violently ill right after consuming the bread, I guess. Apparently after that, people begin suffering from insomnia. And then finally that leads to the hallucinations, but maybe the insomnia is what's causing the hallucinations, you know, because there was one report of a gentleman said that after he ate on the evening of August 15th, he did not sleep for three weeks for 21 days. This guy was awake. He could not get himself to fall asleep. Now I have insomnia, but I pop a few melatonin and I'm, I'm back in the game. So I, I don't know what was going on with this guy, but that has to have dire effects on your immune system. And it's also interesting too, because as you were mentioning with the different theories as to what caused this, one of the big things that they keep going back and forth with is the time it took for these people to become ill after eating the bread. In fact, some people it took up to 36 hours, which is one of the things I try to use to disprove the fact that it could be something the government slipped the townsfolk. But as you said, with the gentleman who couldn't sleep for 21 days, there are certainly other things that may cause, uh, as we were alluding to before, somebody to experience that. The other thing that we should mention too is that when we said that some of these people have died after consuming the bread, it's not in the way that you think. Some of these people actually died because they were hallucinating. One man actually thought he was an aeroplane and he jumped from a second story window thinking that he could fly. This is just not a small hallucination. This is really uh, somebody who's losing grip on reality. Yeah, the, and now, you know, doctors are putting their heads together and, and an investigation is now underway. And, and this is this is, this is is also a very well-documented case. There's plenty of videos on it on YouTube. There was a good one that I was listening to the other day. It was about an hour long because it goes into so much history of what could have caused it, especially if it was linked to the CAA. But you love that one, Chris. You were pressuring me to watch it quite a quite a few times this week. <laughs> well, yeah, I listened to it on the way home, and, uh... and unfortunately, I, I I did not get around to it, Chris. Uh, I must divulge that. <laughs> well, one hour is a, certainly a long time to uh, <laughs> to invest in to this s- to stay focused. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there's an investigation underway now, and. Uh, The first thing that I think the doctors are now coming up with is that this must be something that people ate. So they're trying to trace back, okay, what what is it that they could have eaten? They come down to the fact that it must have been the bread. You know, this this isn't like today where the the bread in town can be from anywhere in the world. This is all locally made bread. So now there's an investigation underway into bakeries that are, are local to the area. And they end up narrowing it down to the Briand Bakery. Briand? Uh, oui, oui. Uh, right, well, you know, I mean, it must not have been that difficult to narrow down because uh, I'm looking here on the uh, historical population chart. And uh, in 1954, the population of Pont Saint-Esprit was 4,925. So I'm guessing maybe it was a, a few less people there back in 51. So, I mean, you've got a population of... Um, 
5,000 people. That's a rather small town. And so I'm assuming that there's one, maybe two bakers around to uh, keep your eye on. Am I right? Sweet baby. Pumpernickel boy. <laughs> right? You be. So hit us up with it, Chris. Uh, what'd they find out? So they look into the Brion Bakery, and they're now trying to figure out, okay, if it's the bread, what in the bread is causing this? There's very simple ingredients that make bread. It's flour, yeast, water, and salt. Upon looking into all of these things, they determined that the water is fine because if it were the water, it wouldn't be a, such a small case here. This is located right down to this Pont Saint-Esprit. So if it was the water, you'd be seeing more, much more than 300 people, right? So they rule out the water, they rule out the salt, and the yeast. That leaves the flour, my man. Here's the thing. We should mention a slight background here to how flour is distributed in the area. Due to the fact that this takes place not too long after World War II, there is a government control board that controls grain. And that's because they don't want to get to a situation where there might be a wartime supply shortage. So what happens is the flour is controlled by the Office National Interprofessional de Cereal. It's never a good idea to let the government control everything, Chris. This is not good. No, Walp, uh, we know that they'll uh, jump at any chance they can get. And of course, they now have a monopoly on the sale of flour. So they are controlling how the quality of flour that's distributed. And so what happens here is at first, it was pretty strict in the sense that you get what you get and you don't get upset. But later on, if a local town produced their own grain and had surplus amounts, they could sell some back to the ONIC, the government. They also would be in control of their own flour as well. If they you know, had a local miller and, and if they had a higher quality grain, this, this would mean better quality bread for you know whatever town that was able to do this. But of course, on the towns such as Pont Saint-Esprit, they had lower quality flour because they had a net flour deficit. So they weren't able to produce enough to sustain themselves. So they were getting lower quality from the ONIC. Now you have the situation where they figure out that the flour is the problem. So of course, uh, the finger gets pointed at the local bakery, but the finger really should be pointed at the government probably, but uh, we won't go down that road. Maybe they were just trying to build back better, Chris. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> Continue, Chris. Uh, so their suspicion lies in a bag of flour. That is key rex. So now, of course, when they arrive to the Brion Bakery, you have to remember that the Brion Bakery is getting flour, but the grain had to be milled before going there. So somewhere else down the chain, somebody made a mistake. The situation though was not that people thought that there could have been some sort of bacteria located in the flour they suspected perhaps that somebody was poisoning there were reports that some people said that the bread had chemical smells an odor of gasoline others said bleach and even some actually said the bread just looked normal but others then again say that it was a grayish color 
Well, I'm not eating a piece of gray bread. <laughs> I don't give a shit how hungry I am. <laughs> so here's the situation now. What is causing this? And, there, and there's obviously several different things here. Was the bread poisoned? Is there an issue with the flour? So they come down to a man named Maurice Maillet. After the investigation, the police announced the arrests of Maillet and Bruyere for involuntary manslaughter and involuntary injuries due to negligence in trading improper flour. Can you imagine that? No, because I was thinking about this, Chris. If it was indeed a bad batch of flour, and that flour was distributed by uh, means of government control and uh, portioning and whatnot, you would assume that the poisoning would be taking place throughout a wide variety of towns in southern France, right? Right. So there's other there's other uh, thoughts here as to how it got to just Pont Saint Esprit. But they're going um, after they're going after the, the the little businessman here. The the government's great at creating the problem and then trying to uh, offer you a solution as to how to fix it. Aren't they? <laughs> By pointing your finger at somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> and and so uh, during the investigation, though, Maya actually admits that he made a deal with a baker. Oh this no, this guy. is not good. This is not good. <laughs> Come on, I just stuck up. What's this guy's name? Maurice Maillet. Maurice, I just stuck up for you. You're killing me. <laughs> so uh, this other baker guy, Briere, uh, he brought in bags to be milled of grain. And it was near the end of the season, and the bags were filled with leftover grain that apparently has a high proportion of rye. Although apparently the rye wasn't the, wasn't the only problem, because this flour also had weevils, mites, and dust in it. Ooh. The baker was concerned that if if he refused this grain, that he would lose business on on the base of quality. So uh, even though the miller noticed how low quality the grain was, they agreed to exchange some grain for a smaller amount of flour that was milled for export. Momo is buying black market grain. <laughs> so basically what, what the miller thought here is that if he mixed some of the lower quality flour with another batch that the overall quality of the flour wouldn't be too bad. And, I mean, it would be short-term, too, right? I mean, you're baking a few loaves here and there, so maybe just a few days of some shitty bread. But uh, other than that, I mean, I, I think it's something I would try if I was the baker and I was running <laughs> low on supplies. Well, the loaves coming out of Maurice's oven <laughs> oh, no, were toxic. <laughs> you, you don't say. So the arrests are made. Here these are, these poor bakers are now being charged with involuntary manslaughter. But something just doesn't add up here. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Chris. Because immediately to me, I mean, this just sounds like Maurice is the fall guy. So if it was indeed some kind of poisoning, you would think that the effects would take place immediately. And as we said, the bread was supposedly eaten on the 15th, and that's when people began getting ill. But it wasn't until about the 25th where the town really fell apart. And I believe that two doctors at the time referred to it as apocalyptic night. So, I mean, that just gives you a sense of what they were feeling at the time. So that's 10 days later. So you would think if it was indeed some kind of issue with a, a fungus or bad grain or whatnot, whatever the case may be, that the people would just simply get violently ill, as people do with food poisoning, and then be done with it. 
You know, not so much so that it would lead to uh, mass hysteria. That is, unless it was indeed ergo poisoning. Right, Chris? Because I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong here, this kind of poisoning can indeed cause hallucinations by those who consume the aforementioned ergo. <laughs> oh, right you are. And being as that ergo is typically found on rye, this was one of the things that Maurice Maillet was interrogated about. So he denies the fact that he mixed rye into his flour, opting instead to use bean flour. Were there any corners that Maurice was not cutting? <laughs> yeah, our uh, our man Maurice here was uh, doing anything he could to get that bread out of the oven. <laughs> yes, he was. So like we said, on August 15th, the... Floodgates kind of opened, and then by the 25th, 10 days later, all hell had broken loose. And as you said, on August 31st, it was announced that Maurice, the baker, was being charged with involuntary manslaughter. I mean, so things really escalated at a crazy pace. And, I mean, I guess we should talk about, at least for a little bit, what some of the other instances that took place on uh, August 25th, or leading up to August 25th, as the doctors referred to as Apocalyptic Night. Because I'm going through some of my notes here, Chris, and there was uh, one report of a child, and get this, this is creepy, a child who went crazy and began trying to strangle his mother. He attempted to kill his own mother, and I believe it was an 8- to 10-year-old kid. So hopefully she whooped his ass, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, this this is just going to show you here that, that what is causing these these people to have these crazy hallucinations is what has got everyone perplexed. Now, as you mentioned before, the ergo could show symptoms like this, and being as that if there is rye located in the bread, and the fungus apparently does not get killed through the baking process, so it will survive the heat of the oven, and it will end up in the bread, and it will cause poisoning. So this is the number one theory after the investigation, because they cannot figure out otherwise. How the hell can it survive the temperatures that are being baked? That's crazy. I would assume that it would have killed it. That's what I thought, and I looked into it, and and, and it said that that it, it actually will survive the baking process. So that's why they're thinking that that you know it, it must be this. But Maurice is saying he didn't use rye. So what? Call, I mean, I, I mean, ergo c- can probably come from other grains as well, but it's really just mostly prevalent with rye. I, I just gotta go through some of these other reports of these bizarre hallucinations. One guy apparently reported seeing tigers, but, you know, which whatever. I mean, maybe just stoned or whatever. That, that, that type of stuff can happen. But get this. These, these are weird. One guy said that he had flowers sprouting out of his feet. And then there was another citizen who claimed that they kept producing hair out of their mouth. Like they had a mouthful of hair. Now, that would bug me out. That, that, that's going too far. Yeah, and I think I think there were even some cases saying that there were people had snakes in their stomach. There was one guy who had snakes, who had snakes in his stomach apparently, and he jumped <laughs> from a bridge <laughs> into the water below. I mean, this may be of the sewer snake variety, Chris. 
or maybe it was just a hallucination. We don't know. But this caused the gentleman to jump into the water. He apparently survived, but he was attempting to kill the snakes by swimming in the water, I guess. But, uh, I mean, this is an absolute debacle. And remember, we said that this town only had about 4,500 people. So, out of 4,500 people, you get 300 people going mad. That, I mean, that's a substantial amount. This is certainly a serious case that needs to be investigated, which is why the police and everything, you know, do this rigorous investigation on the case. But when they arrest these two guys, suspecting that there was ergo poisoning due to the negligence on the Miller and Baker's part, this eventually leads to them testing for this ergo. So they actually test, end up testing the flower supply and it shows the ergo levels are negligible. They are subsequently released. Ooh, well, uh, I mean, and now uh, the police department has ergo on their face, Chris. <laughs> because the two bakers, they later come out and say that their confessions, which they did indeed confess to this, but they said that their confessions were coerced and forced. What does this mean then? Then that means they don't know what caused the poisoning. So this is even more alarming now. Because if they're discrediting the fact that the yeast, the water, the salt supply, and now the flour are to blame for this bread poisoning, then what could it have been? Well, they check all avenues, right? Because didn't they also include in their investigation uh, the possibility of mercury poison via the water? in the town but if it was a water supply issue you would assume that more members of the community would have fallen ill in addition to the mercury poisoning they looked into the possibility of fungicides that were used to treat the grains and the seeds as something that may have caused uh, this issue as well so chris uh, as our resident master gardener here at btc i'm going to uh, throw it to you here because one of the other things that the investigators look into is the possibility of fungicides being the cause of all these illnesses. What says you? Is that a possibility? Well, I have never really heard of panogen, which is the fungicide that they apparently use on their cereal grains. And apparently the ingredient is methylmercuric dicyanamide. Ooh. And... I'm taking a peek here at the signs and symptoms of an acute exposure. Remember, this is an acute exposure, so you would have to really consume a large amount of it. And I highly, highly doubt there would have been that much on the grain, unless somebody accidentally dumped a fucking whole barrel into it. So some of the symptoms are respiratory distress. Respiratory distress. Abdominal pain. Abdominal pain. Nausea. Nausea. Are you just going to repeat everything I said? <laughs> I'm sorry, Chris. God, I was getting caught up in a moment. Please continue. <laughs> Vomiting. Diarrhea. Ooh, we've been to that one before. And here comes some of the other things. Confusion, irritability, seizures, hallucinations. Say what? Whoa, 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 whoa. What was that last one? Hallucinations. Hmm. And loss of memory. Now, some of the people who were affected here say that they can't remember 
some of the things that happened to them. Quite a few of them actually say that. Yes. So that's that's a possibility. And, and they do note that that could have been it. So I'm sure they, they did their due diligence there, which is what's on one of the theories. But I don't know. I'm calling bullshit. Whoa, okay. Uh, I didn't see that coming so soon. I guess most people were in agreement with you because years passed, de- decades passed, actually, And uh, this still remained a mystery, and there were no new leads as to what could possibly have caused this. Well, that was until the year 2009, Chris, when a book entitled A Terrible Mistake, which was penned by journalist Hank P. Abarelli, and uh, old Abarelli here had quite the interesting claim as to what he believes happened on that fateful day of August 15th, 1951, in Pont-Saint-Esprit, France. Doesn't he? Oh, he does. And uh, according to Alberelli here, he has the proof to back it up. And that proof comes in the form of top-secret government documentation. I'm going to lay it on the line for you. Alberelli here believes that this was a CIA experiment that tested the effects of LSD on a population. So Alberelli believes that the United States government, even though France was an ally of the U.S., they still wanted to test out the effects of LSD. Because remember, you know, you said that World War II just ended, but we were still in the middle of the uh, Cold War. So they wanted to kind of conduct experiments and see what they can get out of this LSD and uh, how they could possibly use that as some form of biological warfare, if need be. I mean, as far-fetched... Well, it doesn't really sound far-fetched to me, but I would assume that the general population would believe that that is kind of far-fetched. Alberelli, like I said, he has some pretty compelling documents to sway the scales in his direction, doesn't he? Oh, he does. And there's the U.S. history to go by, too. And and when I say that, I'm talking about declassified documents stating unethical experimentations from the government on the population. I gotta tell you, this kind of blew me away here, because you're talking about actual documentation showing that these tests were done on the population without their knowledge for the sake of them likely just trying to figure out best ways for biological warfare should the situation arise where they need to fight, you know, another country. And they're they're testing them on their on their own citizens. I, I mean, this is, it's, it's honestly fucking sick. They also believe that the effects of LSD, and, and there's quite a, a few videos showing the effects, it can lead some people to obviously uh, having a terrible hallucinations, but it can lead to laughing fits, They basically want to see if they can use this as a truth serum or as a way to basically make citizens walking zombies that would follow whatever commands they were given. And that was one of the main components behind MKUltra, which was also a human experimentation program designed by the U.S. CIA, Chris. And I should preface it by saying an illegal human experimentation. And a lot of people believe that MKUltra is a conspiracy. It's not. There's proof that this actually happened. The documents have all been released. I mean, it's just a form of psychological torture. Now, MKUltra actually took place a few years after this. I believe it started in 
maybe 1955 or so. So it wasn't the MK Ultra program. However, the CIA had programs leading up to MK Ultra, and they were Project Bluebird, and another one was called Project Artichoke, two projects that dealt with interrogating and psychological control. So before we get into what proof Al Borelli has here, let's just talk about Project Artichoke for a second. The goal of Project Artichoke was to determine whether or not a person could be involuntarily made to perform an act of assassination. I mean, this is complete and utter mind control. Excellent. Absolutely excellent. And in addition to that, it studied the use of LSD to produce amnesia. So basically, they wanted you to go out and kill someone or attempt to kill someone and forget that you even tried doing it. So they can pin it on you, Chris. That's what they're trying to do here. And I'm going to lay it on the line for you right here, right now, Chris. Are, are you holding on to your hat? <laughs> I don't I don't wear one. But are, you, are you holding on to your hat? Just answer the goddamn question, Chris. I, I, I guess, yeah. <laughs> Project Artichoke arose on August 20th, 1951. Smack dab in the middle of August 15th and August 25th when all holy hell was breaking loose in Pont-Saint-Esprit. What the hell do you think about that? You had the right to remain silent. Seems very, very coincidental. I do recommend that you uh, watch that... Uh, that video I was talking about. I I, I promise you I will watch it tonight, Chris, for Christ's sake. But it's just so crazy. When you really start reading these these documents and stuff that have been declassified, I mean, it's just like, how are people not absolutely livid? They were doing experimentation on people unknowingly, without consent, as we were mentioning before. There's several documentation that they would test the U.S. soldiers. Some, Some would actually volunteer to test the LSD. But there were situations where they were telling soldiers that they were testing a, a gas mask just to see it's, how it functions. But in reality, they had filled the canister in the gas mask with some sort of poison or something so that they were testing this, this thing on them. There are all sorts of lawsuits and stuff from people who have PTSD from the testing or other lifelong issues that arose from doing the testing. If you watch this, they actually mention that in the 1950s, the U.S. was doing experimentations on things like this more than any other country in the world in the 50s. Now, the 50s is when the Paul Saint-Esprit issue happens as well. So things are starting to look a little uh, suspicious when it comes to the U.S. government here. Now the dominoes are beginning to fall here because remember our man Hank Alberelli, he claims that he found a file. And that file was entitled Pensez Esprit and F. Olson. Now you may say, who in the hell's F. Olson? Well, allow me to tell you. Frank Olson here was a biological warfare scientist for the army and in addition to that he did some work for the cia for and you're not going to believe this chris project artichoke Hmm, okay so this is all adding up yes so as if that wasn't bad enough 
we come to find out that Olsen was in France a mere few weeks before disaster struck Pont Saint-Esprit. What do you think of that? Well, it sounds like we might have our man, and uh, maybe we could ask Frank Olsen. Oh, <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa! I don't. I, now listen to me, Chris. I know you know what happened to old Frankie here, <laughs> but the good people out in podcast land do not. Why don't you lay it on us? What happened to him? Can can, can we get him on the phone and ask him a question at this point in time? Uh, not in this lifetime. <laughs> Because Sir Olsen here, well, he unfortunately fell to his death from a hotel window under suspicious circumstances. The claim here is that Olsen jumped out of his window in a hotel in New York City straight down to the street below. But, 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 the coroner who examined the body after death claims that there was a substantial head wound that very well could have been sustained prior to the fall or the throw. And apparently uh, Frank Olsen here was recently suffering from a bout of depression. Yeah, because he actually told his wife that he felt absolutely terrible about what he had done, but he never elaborated on it. So... Maybe old Frankie's conscience uh, was getting the best of him. It was later found out that Olsen was made to go on a CIA retreat and he was given LSD. So Frank basically became part of the experiment. Apparently he suffered from terrible depression after this experiment and returning home from France. And he actually confided in his wife saying that he did a very terrible thing, and he could not live with what he had done. Olson's death, although suspicious, was ruled a suicide, and you can kind of see, if he was talking like that to his wife afterwards, you can kind of see that maybe he was suicidal at that time. So, I mean, that's just another mystery wrapped up in this mystery, Chris. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, questions here that need answering. Unfortunately, we'll never get... Or will we? Because, Chris, uh, during our diligent uh, research, we found out that there was indeed a producer of LSD not too far from southern France. Am I right? Buckwheat boy. (laughs) Well, I right you are again. Because in the country of Switzerland... There was a chemist by the name of Albert Hoffman. And uh, Albert here, he decided that he wanted to create some sort of psychedelic drug for um, psychiatric purposes. Okay. Uh, Interesting, considering that it could cause someone to need psychiatry. (laughs) Um, Here's the very interesting part, because while LSD offers the same symptoms that the good folks of Pont Saint-Esprit were experiencing, the drug itself is actually derived from the fungus Ergo. Excuse me? Oh, Ergo. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness! So here's the thing now. Because they disproved 
any traces or negligible traces, of course, which is common of ergo in the flower, is it possible that Dr. Olson uses the bread as a way to hide LSD because it could easily be caused by the very thing that LSD is derived from, ergo. Chris, did we just solve this goddamn case? <laughs> oh, brother. Well, it seems a little coincidental to me, and I will also say that it's a coincidence that the U.S. decided to make a very large purchase of LSD. The chemist, Albert Hoffman, uh, who worked for Sandoz in Switzerland, who was holding the supply of LSD, got a very large order from who? Well, hold on to your seat. <laughs> I am. Uh, it's from your hometown, the U.S. of A. <laughs> it's a rather large hometown, but uh, wow, Chris. <laughs> I mean, this whole thing has just come together right in our lap. Yeah, it seems to me that uh, 1951 had a lot of things going on, and I don't think it was the bread. To me, there seems to be a lot to what Alberelli has to say, but we looked at a lot of things tonight, Chris, so I'm going to ask you, based on everything that we talked about this evening, what says you was this just an innocent mistake by a random baker or was this biological warfare carried out on the poor people of pont saint esprit what says you well uh, you know me i tend to call bullshit on some of the uh more far-fetched theories here and while even the people of france believe that it is way far-fetched that the cia would ever do such a thing i'm uh more inclined to uh not trust the u.s government in this situation and even though the cia did sometimes act well when i say sometimes many times acted on their own without knowledge from pretty much anyone else i believe they were involved in the Pont Saint Esprit, Le Pas Maudit. So, if I'm hearing you correctly, Chris, and I think that I am, you're in agreement with Alberelli here. You do indeed believe that this was indeed a planned operation by the CIA. I do indeed. But continue. <laughs> Before you go, go ahead and uh, say it. I'm, I'm going to ask you, what do you think? I do believe that this was indeed some form of CIA testing. It just seems to me that if it was indeed contaminated flour, and uh, the government was in charge of dispersing that flour, that more towns and villages around Pont Saint Esprit would have suffered the same adverse effects as. The good people of PSE did. Couple that with uh, the files that Alberelli has here. 
particularly naming Frank Olson and his involvement with Project Artichoke and Project Blue Jay before this, I mean, this all kind of ties together nicely. But, you know, this is all speculation because to this day, it's still up in the air as to what could possibly have caused this. But that said, everything we spoke of tonight can kind of make sense. So this can really go in any direction. But, I mean, there is a lot pointing towards the CIA here. Yeah, and I think that the biggest curveball here on, on whether or not it has actually LSD is, is the time after consumption and when these symptoms started hitting everybody. Also, I don't know if LSD tends to make you shit yourself, <laughs> but who knows? But it only takes a very, very, very small amount to make you go insane. So who knows? Maybe, maybe something was added to it to make symptoms other than that, so that it would kind of disguise the fact that it could be LSD. But I will say one last thing. Albert Hoffman was asked to go to France to Pont Saint-Esprit, and he said on the spot, all of these symptoms are related to LSD. He said this is absolutely what you would experience if you consumed LSD. Then he goes back to Switzerland and changes his story. Saying that he was mistaken. I'm going to drop the name of this YouTube video right here because I'm telling you it's the best one. I am going to put this in the notes as well. So if you're interested and before Chris starts contacting every single one of the listeners to force it down (laughs) their throat too, I will have the link in the show notes as well. Hurry up, Chris, please. I got to get out of here tonight. (laughs) (laughs) It is called How a CIA Covert Experiment Turned People Insane. Conspiracy Documentary. And it's by Absolute Documentaries. I'll leave you with that. Very nice. And I actually will include that link because uh, I have to watch it myself at some point to get Chris off my back. But uh, Chris, I mean, that's it. I I think I see some lights in the distance and a couple men in black. I think I have the CIA outside (laughs) of the BTCRF right now, and they want to talk to me about something. Oh, you know what? I actually wanted to bring up something to our listeners. Our good friend of the show, August Cruz, uh, we've mentioned him quite a few times on this program. He actually has a new podcast out called My Favorite Prey, and it focuses specifically on instances of stalking. And some of these cases that he covers are absolutely horrifying. And it's put together really well. So uh, if you get a chance, head on over there and check out My Favorite Prey. And that's available anywhere you get to uh, listen to any of these goddamn podcasts. What can I tell you, Chris? But uh, with all that said, let me give the rundown and we can get the hell out of here for the night. If you want to... The LSD's already getting me. You want to get in touch with us, you can reach us at btcpod2020 at gmail.com, or you can get in touch with us on Facebook or Instagram, Between the Cracks Podcast. Uh, If you would like to become one of our lovely Patreons, please feel free to do so by clicking on the link in the show notes. And in addition to that, I will also have the link to our merch shop and Chris's favorite YouTube video of all time. So all that will indeed be there at the end. But uh, Chris, with all that said, why don't you say we wish to find, find people out in podcast land the fondest. Oh, a farewell. (laughs) 